Hello and welcome to the Nursing Podcast. My name is Landon James. I'm an emergency room nurse and critical care transport nurse. Hello, my name is Monique McLaughlin and I am an emergency nurse practitioner at an urban emergency department in British Columbia. So we're going to go right into it. We're going to talk about uh, C-spine collars today. Is Are they a curse or are they a cure? Now, many of you may have audited ATLS or have taken your TNCC, and both of those courses would have you believe that airway should always include C-spines, and in fact, it has become the standard of care, despite the fact that there is very little evidence justifying this practice. In fact, if you do a bit of research, there have been several studies showing that cervical collars by themselves aren't without risk or significant consequences. A lot of these studies that I'm going to mention are actually going to be on the podcast notes, so I'm not going to refer to them specifically, but I would like to tell you about some of the results of them. One of the studies actually states that cervical collars frequently excuse me, increase intracranial pressure and may actually be particularly harmful if used on head injured patients. Another researcher observed that cervical collars can actually result in an abnormal separation between the vertebrae in the presence of a, an injury. All of us nurses who probably have had people who have been in C-spine precautions for a very long period of time have certainly noticed that we have had some pressure sores, particularly in the back of the head, the sacral or the heel area, particularly in elderly unconscious or altered level of consciousness type patients. And additionally, because of the collar, we actually don't get a, a full view of the head and neck and perhaps missing some injuries or evolving problems. So I guess... You're saying that it's better to not put on a collar, but maybe mm. you and I have been guilty in the past when yes. we're teaching of saying that it's better and easier to put a hard collar on than to repair someone's spinal cord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. What if our patient has an unstable spinal fracture and movement might make it worse? I'm kind of worried about that. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, we've <laughs> looked up some research. And there's an article from 2009 in the Scandinavian Journal of Trauma where they talk about some of these myths and question why do we put cervical collars on conscious trauma patients. And this is just one article. There's actually quite a lot of research out there right now kind of challenging back and forth whether we should be doing this or not. And so there's four myths that they talk about in this article. And this is one that I think we're all worried about. Injured patients may have an unstable injury of the cervical spine. And the the research they did actually shows that this incident is very, sorry, the incidence of this is very low. Mm-hmm. There have been several studies done on trauma patients who are considered at high risk of head and neck trauma. And they were found to have an incident of 0.7% for significant cervical spine injury. So that's a great number and and... Mm-hmm obviously read this article yourself and there's a lot of uh, I think need to dig into a lot of this because I think if we really were to stratify these patient populations Mm -hmm. we would find that the person who's free of drugs and alcohol talking to you looking okay yeah they're probably even way lower than that 0.7 percent absolutely yeah the other myth is further movement can cause additional injury yeah on Can a neurological symptom worsen after the primary injury? Of course it can. But is that actually related to movement itself? Certainly we think of edema 
and bleeding that might contribute to those secondary effects of that primary injury. But movement isn't likely one of those. In In an awake patient, it seems likely that if you have an injury, you would automatically hold it still. You've seen people come in with a fracture to their arm, and what are they doing? They're holding, holding their, arm. their arm. Exactly, not moving it. And they often say that patients who come in who actually feel like they have a problem with their neck actually will call, come in holding their neck and try not to move it. But most people just have a stiff neck and they have whiplash, and that tissue trauma and the swelling is actually holding their neck still. There have been studies that have actually shown that a patient cohort with confirmed cervical injury, vertical, uh, sorry, vertebral injury, where 8% of them did not have their spine immobilized, but the outcomes did not differ. And these are people who actually had injuries. There was also a comparison study, and I find this quite fascinating. There was a comparison study of a first world country where they have cervical collars and they readily apply them, and a third world country who don't have collars. So they don't put them on because they just don't have them. There was absolutely no difference in the incidence of neurological injuries from the cervical spine. Now, in fairness, both of the studies had very small sample groups, but if they would have had secondary um, injuries, I guess we would have seen them in a smaller group. It does bear more research, but it is interesting for us to actually note that. Excellent. So another myth is that this cervical hard cervical collar restricts neck movement and i love this one when we're teaching and we mm-hmm. ask we ask all of our students so what's the point of the hard collar and they all say to stop the neck from moving around and it's so interesting because i think they think that a trauma patient or someone who's hurt themselves is any different than them standing there and i can put a collar on the student and say okay try to move your head they can move it everywhere, but for some reason we think that, well, if you're a trauma patient, though, it's obviously going to stop your head from moving. And so this myth, in fact, a perfectly applied collar allows for 30 degrees of flexion and extension or rotation. So, and, and I can definitely verify that, and if anyone doesn't believe us, grab one off the shelf where you work, put it on, and mm-hmm. and experience how it really doesn't hold your head and so we we often label it it just reminds the patient yeah. that you're worried about them moving their head but the reality is if they want to they're going to move their head anyway okay. so it doesn't really hold their head completely still and i think we're all been in that experience where we've had uh, the, the gentleman or lady who's maybe had a little too much to drink who's got a collar on but by the time we get to them they're kind of moving around to make themselves comfortable the collar is all twisted and they're trying to get their most comfortable position and they've been able to move tons in that collar so absolutely you're absolutely right there Landon the last myth is just put the collar on anyway to be on the safe side and that kind of goes back to our initial thing saying well it's better to put one on than to repair a spinal cord but is the cervical collar safe and you know what I'm not going to beat the the dead horse to death already. We've already talked about those studies at the front that say that increasing pressure on the jugular veins and reduced venous return may actually increase ICP, particularly with our unconscious uh, head injured patients. And of course, all the things about pressure sores. In patients with known cervical spine fractures, this should be a given, right? I'm not telling you not to put it on patients that have a known C-spine injury. 
But it's interesting, though, in this Scandinavian paper, they mentioned that there was a cadaver study where they inflicted neck injuries on the cadavers, and then they placed a semi-rigid collar around the neck, and then did radiological studies. And they actually showed that the collar increased the fracture crease by about 7 millimeters, which doesn't seem like much, but it could certainly be significant. So they were saying that even with a known cervical injury that if you put on a cervical collar it might actually make that neck injury worse and then of course we do worry about collars hampering airway management so often we have patients in cervical collars in overcrowded emergency departments perhaps not in our sight line this puts these patients who likely didn't require a collar to have a huge aspiration risk lying flat with their bellies full of beer and pizza So in conclusion, what this Scandinavian paper says, one, spinal injuries are not that common. Two, they don't necessarily immobilize the neck, having those collars on. And three, they don't actually improve clinical outcomes. Well, that's interesting. Uh Uh-huh. So where do we go from here? Oh, I'm so, yes. So... That's really good for you to tell me this or speak to me about this, because in 2012, the UK Faculty of Pre-Hospital Care at the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh had a bunch of meetings with trying to come up with some consensus statements on patient handling of both pelvic and spinal injuries. And in this um, podcast, I'm only going to primarily talk about the spinal injuries. And some of these we already do here in Canada. The long spinal board, very seldom used, only used for extrication. They recommend more of a scoop or a vacuum mattress, which we mostly do here in BC. They've often talked about if you have enough people and you're worried about a compromised airway, that inline stabilization might be better than actually putting on a collar. They also recommend an immobilization algorithm, although they didn't say which algorithm. Of course, here in Canada, we've We've already done this. Yeah, exactly. And it's called the Canadian C-spine rules. And in the U.S., there's uh, the Nexus rules. And there have been actually tons of studies that have looked at pre-hospital staff and nurses, and they have shown that they can easily use these rules uh, as efficiently as the physicians can to clear C-spines. So what they're saying is that if you have a conscious patient with no overt alcohol or drugs on board, no major distracting injuries, these patients, unless physically trapped, should be invited, I kind of like the UK way of saying that, invited to self-extricate and lie on their trolley cot. Likewise, for the patient who has self-extricated, they can be walked to the vehicle, laid supine, examined, and then, if necessary, we would immobilize them. I think that's a great point. I think there's an opportunity here. We've we've had, in some of our past uh, episodes, we've talked about changing your system to support mm-hmm. better patient care. And I think this is a great, you know, right now in our reality, it's it's mostly a physician a task to rule out a c-spine cause and some places have definitely engineered their system a little Mm -hmm. better because they understand that the caller is making work more complicated putting the patient at risk and calling a physician to triage the moment they come through the door on an ambulance stretcher and the physician isn't signing up for the patient isn't their primary provider they're just coming they're applying in our case the canadian c-spine rules and then just saying to the triage nurse, good to clear, yeah. or no, I'm not. we can't clear them based on the rules right now. And that just helps because there's going to be that 80% of patients that they can say, 
yeah, we'll clear them right here, right now, mm-hmm. 30 seconds in the door before they're even registered. And that helps us put them in a more appropriate place, sit them up for the beer and pizza to maybe go yes, the other exactly. direction and all those sorts of things. So I think that's a that's a great idea. Yeah. And then one last point is penetrating trauma with no neurological signs does not require immobilization. And I think that's really important. We that Luckily, is. we don't see very much penetrating trauma here in Canada, but still something we need to think about. So at the end of the day, in conclusion, we should always, in anything that we do, we should always question the whys um, when we accept what people label standard practice. We need to examine that evidence and decide whether what we do is actually making things better, for example, a cure, or rather that it's making it worse, which would be a curse. So, so yeah, so where we go from here, yeah. well, where we go from here is we don't change much tomorrow. No. The one thing we don't want anyone to do is be going and suddenly tomorrow just not putting hard collars on people. Mm-hmm. Although there's a lot of research here showing that maybe this isn't the best thing we can, we need to be doing. I, th- I think for me, what I would love is to, this to start generating a discussion at a workplace and be great if nurse if nurses could come and get a bit of research together and start that dialogue with their physician group with their administrators and say there's a few ideas here one should we use be using these at all but two if if we are interfacing with agencies that are using them is there a way we can stop using them quickly at mm-hmm. the front door is this something a nurse could be trained in um and if you're in a, in the pre-hospital realm, is this something that the paramedics could be trained in? I think it's great to start a conversation. And that's kind of, I think, that was our purpose today. And yeah. bringing all of this up was, yes. there's, there's a lot of stuff out there. And let's start having this conversation as a, as a work area or as a country. And really, I'm going to perhaps challenge anybody out there, certainly from nurses, wouldn't this be a great nurses research base of comparing or applying the rules? And that might actually change behavior or change practice. And wouldn't that be wonderful that it actually comes from a nurse? So maybe we need to challenge ourselves or anybody out there to start to look at it as maybe that's the research project that we should be doing next year. That's a great idea. And definitely. And then present it at a conference at the next national conference that I heard is going to be in Montreal Montreal next year. So what a great place to come and present your c-spine findings and the appropriateness of nursing involved in that wonderful all right well thanks for listening and we will uh, see you next time for past episodes and to comment on this episode please visit our website at nursem.org that's n-u-r-s-e-m dot o-r-g you can follow us on twitter at nursemcast and also find us on Facebook at Nursum Podcast. We look forward to your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Remember, before incorporating anything new into your work, ensure you are supported by your own scope of practice, workplace policies, and your own knowledge and comfort. The Nursum Podcast is brought to you by PRN Education, www.prneducation.ca.